Hey, hey, welcome back to Adorn Podcast. This is episode 136, and we're continuing our study in 1 Peter. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Adorned Podcast. We're your hosts, Erin and Casey. We would love for you to come join us each week as we discuss what it means to be made beautiful by God's Word. Whether you are a college student walking to class, a mom folding laundry during nap time, or a boss babe sitting in rush hour traffic, we hope that we can encourage and inspire you to pursue a deeper understanding of the Bible. very excited about today's episode. It's one of our favorite things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Marriage. Yeah, but if you're doing the PAO study, Casey and I actually wrote um, this week's we did. workbook. So yes. It was yeah. a lot of fun. It was yes. a joy. Yes. We haven't done Glimpse of Grace in a while. So Erin, in the last week or two or whatever, have you seen a glimpse of God's grace in your life? Yes. I mean, I, I can think of a few off the top of my head that immediately come to mind, but I think one that's was has been really encouraging to me is I've been kind of thinking through and praying through something just personally and without even sharing with um, some of the women in our church, one of the women just not knowing I was praying for it came up to me said, I have this idea. I want to do this thing. What do you think? And I was like, this is literally exactly what I've been praying for. I've just been praying for God to provide someone to do it. So like without me even asking or putting it out there, it's just been such an encouragement to me to remember like, Come to God with these yes. things, yeah, and yeah. He can answer them beyond you. Like mm-hmm. He's not in your power so in that's ways been that you couldn't even imagine. Yes, that's so that's cool. Very encouraging. I yes. love that. How about you? That's so funny. We did not talk about these at all, Mm-mm. but mine's kind of along the same lines <laughs> about prayer. So Monday at CC, our director before our day started, she prayed something specifically that was a little bit different than she normally prays. She prayed specifically that the tutors would have fun mm. learning with the kids. Yeah. And I just, I listened to her prayer and prayed with her and then went on. Well, at the end of the day, I was just thinking back on the day and Jonathan said, Casey, how was, how was your day today? And I said, oh, it was a lot of fun. Like I had a lot of fun today. And then all of a sudden it hit me that like, that Jessica had prayed specifically for that. And not that I don't normally have fun with the kids. Like I always try to have fun with them, but some days there's some discipline that has to happen and that's kind of hard. Or some Mm -hmm. days I'm just tired. I need more coffee or, you know, Mm -hmm. but Monday was just like genuinely fun. Mm -hmm. We played a fun new game that the kids really enjoyed. We, um, our science experiment was fun. It was just a fun day. And I love like that seemed like such a simple prayer and I'm sure Jessica didn't think anything special about it, Mm -hmm. but to see God specifically answer that right then that morning, like it was just really neat. Yeah. Just a glimpse of grace for sure. Well, I think the lesson here is Let's not have fun. Well, yes, that is the <laughs> lesson is have fun. But what I really was going to say was I think the lesson is like, let's not forsake prayer. Absolutely. Yep. Which seems very yep. obvious. But then in practicality, like, I think I do forget about it often. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. It's good. All right. Into some more somewhat hot topics. I know. This week. Coming off of last week, Whoosh. submitting to the government mm-hmm. and submitting in your workplace mm-hmm. to your to your boss essentially mm-hmm. is what we talked about last week and we're continuing um this idea that Peter's showing us how 
how to live a holy life in light right. of the gospel, in light of this truth um, that we see in the gospel. How do we display a holy life now? Mm-hmm. So this week we're going to talk about what that looks like in marriage. Yep. So this is chapter three, uh, verses one and two. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So don't like just stop here and be like, ah, no, offensive. Let us actually <laughs> like break this down. Um, and, I, and I just want to put out there before we even get started on this, that we kind of each come to texts like this with different baggage if you will yeah um maybe you had parents who lived this really beautifully maybe you had you know a home that this was not modeled in a christ-like way maybe you had counsel um that was really good and helpful on how to live this out maybe you had counsel that was not um and so we just want to before we even get into this we just want to be sensitive and just let you know that we're trying to think of all different walks of life when we're talking about this. But Casey and I are never going to shy away from what the Bible actually says. And so it's kind of this this walk, this tension of we need to be faithful to the text, but still be sensitive to um, the brokenness of the world that we live in. Um, I'm going to give just a small example to show that we're we're in the same boat as you as we have baggage on this as well. For sure. Um, before my husband and I got married, we went through pre-marriage counseling, and most of it was really good and really helpful. But there was one thing um, that our counselors shared with us that really was hard for me. So th- she said, um, never let your husband see you sad. Like when he gets home from work, you always have to have a smile. No matter what, kids crying, throwing up, whatever, you cannot display any type of sadness or anything like that. And so I truly took that counsel and tried to live it out and realized quite quickly, this is not healthy. Um, and it, and it did not, I did not have to live a false happiness all the time in order to be a good submissive wife. Right. Eventually Taylor came to me and was like, Hey, it's kind of like I live with a robot sometimes. Like I know you had a really hard night. You have infant twins and I'm gone for 24 hours and I come home and you just, if you plaster on a smile, like I want a real person. I want my Mm -hmm. wife. And so like we were able to work through that, Mm -hmm. but just like, that was one small piece that I heard in pre-marriage counseling that dramatically affected our marriage. So we are aware. We know that this has been taken out of context. We know that this has been weaponized. We know that everyone has a different experience with it. And so we're going to try and just be very gracious about that. Yep. Anything you want to add to that? No, no, that's great. Then let's not shy away anymore from the truth. So um, this is a really good chance for us to do what um, we encourage you to do, which is called cross-referencing scripture, using scripture to help us interpret scripture. Um, We see in Ephesians 5 is one place where we see this. And then we also see um, Colossians 3 is another good place where it talks about the same idea about being subject or submissive Mm -hmm. to your husbands. I'm going to read Colossians because... um, You'll, you might already be familiar with the Ephesians passage, but the Colossians one kind of sneaks in there. Um, let me find it. Okay, so 3 and then verse 18 and 19 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So short and sweet, but we just want to make it clear that this isn't one verse in the Bible that we're trying to twist and say something. This is um, seen in many places. Multiple places, um, yep. Because scripture is never going to contradict scripture. Right. 
Right. So I think it's important for us to look at the very first word here. It says likewise. Mm. And so that is Peter saying, like what we've just read, Mm -hmm. like what we just read about submitting to the government, like what we just read about submitting um, uh, slaves, submitting to masters. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to note that he is not equating a wife and husband relationship to that of a slave and master. Oh, that's a good point. He's just, because that can be taken way out of context. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is just continuing to talk about what we said at the beginning, how the gospel shapes every sphere of our lives and how we are to be um, submissive in every sphere of our lives because we are... um, modeling Christ Mm -hmm. to the world. And so just because it's saying likewise doesn't mean our husband is our master and we're, we're a slave. Like that's not what that means at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's really helpful. I think too, we have to add in here that, um, if we look all the way back to creation and we see, um, when God makes man in his image, he, puts Imago Dei on both man and woman. Right. So this idea of being, subject or submitting to does not diminish any value or dignity or the Imago Dei in Mm -hmm. men or women. Um, It has has nothing to do with that. And that's important because it helps us give us some guardrails um, and not going off the deep end um, and taking this passage somewhere where it's it's not meant to go. Right, right. I do think too, like, I was thinking about this of how it really actually is God's kindness. And we've talked about this about other passages as well. It, it's God's kindness to answer a question that we could have. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. we're, okay, if we're trying to live holy lives, and what, but what do we do if we have a husband who's not a believer? Right. So it's really God's kindness to put that in here and to say that, okay, let me answer your question mm-hmm. for you. Like still be submissive to your husband, um, that they may be one even without a word by the conduct when they see your behavior. Mm-hmm. And so it really is um, just an extra little little dose of, of kindness there. Can you give us speaking of like a husband's beliefs and what they may believe, what they may not believe. Can you give us a little bit of historical context for what we're, what we're dealing with here? Yeah. So it is really helpful to know always, like we say, there is an original audience. There's an original author. Um, and during this time in Roman culture, wives typically weren't, um, typically didn't have a different religion from their husband. Um, And so this passage itself was very controversial, but kind of almost for the opposite reason it's controversial to us. Like we think of it and we're like, oh, that's oppressive language. But to them it would have been like very controversial because they're like, wait, this is very liberating. Like Uh I can trust God and I can have a relationship, you know, with Christ even Apart though my husband, my husband doesn't. Yeah. 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 So it either way, it's still controversial, but to them it was, it was for, you know, a different reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. There's, there's some, um, some more guardrails that I think are necessary in this conversation. And some of these may seem obvious, but it's helpful for us to kind of put those guardrails back on. Especially for us rule followers. I like <laughs> rules. Give yes. me all the rules. <laughs> so, um, one obviously is, is to, you know, this does not, condone sin so it does not mean you need to submit your husband into sin um like that colossians says is Mm -hmm. as is fitting to the lord right um i'm gonna read i think i just like the way he listed these kind of guardrails um i'm gonna read this passage from one of the commentaries i read so he says therefore given the pain that can be evoked by this text i want to say a few things about what peter's call to submission does not mean for christian wives It does not mean that if your husband asks you to abandon your faith in Christ, Mm -hmm. you do. 
It does not mean that if your husband asks you to sin that you do. It does not mean that you must always agree with him and never present a differing view. It does not mean that if he is unfaithful to you, you are left without biblical recourse. It does not mean that if he abuses you physically or abandons you or through humili- verbal humiliation, that you must remain quiet in the home and accept the daily cruelty of that relationship at all mm-hmm. costs. And I just think that's very clear and yes. very helpful mm-hmm. um, and kind of almost gives you kind of like a, a breath of like, well, what if this goes bad? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, okay, God yeah. does not, God created this design for our good yes. and for our flourishing mm-hmm. and to put his gospel on display to uh, the world that makes them want to know more. So most of the time it's going to be a th- something that is a very beautiful and very, um, I can only think of the God word flourishing, honoring. but yes, yeah. um, there obviously is sin and mm-hmm. there is brokenness that can enter. But um, like he said, those guardrails are there to help kind of know what to do in those situations. Yeah. And this is very similar to what we talked about last week with the government, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we said, if they're leaving, if they're leading you into sin, if they're asking you to do something that's against God's word, then you absolutely shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you should stand your ground on those things. Do it in a in a humble way, a gentle way. Um, but you shouldn't ever let anybody lead you into sin. And mm-hmm. so I feel like, I mean, we should expect the Bible to be consistent because it's not going to contradict itself. But I love when we're able to see that consistency so close together yeah. like that. Yeah. Like he's saying the exact same things. Like don't let anybody lead you into sin, but do have this humility mm-hmm. and do, do, um, submit I think you were going to talk about the three things that holy living looks like in the home and I love how you broke it down I don't know if you did that or if someone else did it but I just loved it well I think anytime we can get things in like lists or numbers is helpful but throughout throughout um, today's passage we're going to kind of cover what holy living in the home looks like and so in this first passage basically what he's saying is that um, holy living looks like submission to Christ which manifests itself in submission to God's good design of husband's leadership. I love that. When I saw that you wrote his good design, it just made me stop and think about how that's something we can just um, sit and reflect on a little bit because especially in today's world, I think the subject can be kind of touchy and you even said that you were kind of nervous about talking about it, but we can think like even if we're offended because he called us the weaker vessel, um, we, we can sit and think like, sometimes we don't understand it and we always we have a tendency to ask why like why did you say this lord why did you say this but we can really just sit and rest in the fact that it is his good design and ultimately it's for our good and for his glory yeah i think let's try and take this like really practical because i've had a few conversations recently um with women and i mean i've had a few recently but i've had many over the years of like okay i can understand like I, like you're saying, I may not like it. I may not fully understand it, but like I can, I can be obedient to this. Now, what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know, like, do I only smile? I never say I've had a hard day. Do I, you know, like, what does this actually look like to live out in the home? And I think uh-huh. it's hard for us to kind of say like this list of do's and this list of don'ts. But the best thing that I have um, read on this was um, by John Piper and it stayed with me forever. And it's always my encouragement is He says, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a disposition. And that has been the most helpful thing to me because 
another little pre-marriage counseling experience that we had, and I've, I think I've shared this a long time ago on here, is that we did those personality tests before we got married, and Taylor was a golden retriever, which is a hundred percent accurate for him. He's so kind and sweet and loyal, and loyal, so loyal and so wonderful, and always having fun. And like he is, he is a golden retriever, which we have a golden retriever, so it's kind of funny. But then my test was, I came back as a hawk. And I'm like, just very intense, like, and so um, when we got those results, the the people who were in charge of the premarriage counseling, they're like, so this issue of, like, submission is going to be a little hard for you, Um, (laughs) and so I've, like, I have personally really struggled with walking this out, like, what exactly does it look like, and then when I read that by Piper, like, this is a disposition that has been the most helpful because I was so concerned of like, oh, I can't do this or I can't say that or I should say this or I shouldn't say that. And and that's going to be unique to each marriage, unique to each. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is way overuse of this term, but unique to each Enneagram number. Like it's going to be. Yeah. But I think just thinking of that disposition of Christ likeness. Right. Christ models this for us perfectly. This submission. Yeah, that's good. And I feel like this next section really addresses that verses three and four say, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So I feel like that's exactly what Peter's doing right here. He's addressing that question that you just asked that said, well, what does this look like for yeah. me? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. We said that first section, we're talking about three things. The first one was submission to Christ manifests itself as submission to our husbands. In this section, we see um, Peter showing us that holy living in the home looks like that our, our heart or our character is more important than our outward appearance. So we are to be more concerned with personal character than personal appearance, which sometimes, I mean, that might be convicting to you. You might think, I don't really struggle with that. But the more we look kind of into the the actual text here, I think it's going to be convicting for everybody in one way or another. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally do not automatically in my nature come across as gentle or quiet. So I've kind of always had a bad taste in my mouth for this text. Like, okay, well, I'm not doing that. Like I'm, I'm failing here, you know, and what does that actually mean? And so sometimes looking up the original language is really helpful. Um, so I looked up gentle and I looked up quiet. So, um, gentle is the word praus, which also can be translated as meek and humble. Um, and I thought this was helpful um, when I was researching. It said, meekness towards God is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness or self-interest. It stems from trust in God's goodness and control over the situation. The gentle person is not occupied with self at all. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, not human will. And I was like, thank you for that sentence at the end because yeah. I cannot will myself. I have always loved the definition of meekness as strength under control. And when you said that a couple of years ago, that's just always mm-hmm, stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And I know it's, I've seen it all over the internet, but um, I have always just loved that and always felt like it really made a lot of sense. But I also read this 
this on a blog this week, and I really liked it because we're actually studying ancient Greece right now in our homeschool, so it kind of made a lot of sense to me, but it said, in ancient Greece, war horses were trained to be meek, strong and powerful, yet under control and willing to submit. And I just loved um, this picture because I think it's important, like we've talked about, that we understand that God's not telling us to be a doormat. And I I know I'm a lot like you a lot of times where I'm like, I want to stand my ground and I want to make sure I'm right. And, um, And so it's easy to think that meekness means not being able to express your opinions or not having a voice. And that's not what it means at all. But I have really been trying to practice this in my home and really been trying to think about the fact that a lot of times I can state my opinion. I can get my point across. I can have the same conversations with my husband in a meek way instead of yelling and screaming and stomping my feet and causing a fight but I can I can have that strength under control and I can get my point across and we can have a good conversation a good civil conversation and things just go a lot better and so I really understand Mm -hmm. I'm starting to understand why the Lord gave these instructions in his word because when I do act this way, when I do live this out, when I do live with meekness and humility, then things are just much better in our household. It's a disposition. Yep. Okay, let's do some work on quiet. So this one is harder to say. It's like, hey, Sukios. Hey, Sukios. I, I, I have it like a weird accent when I say it. <laughs> so this one I thought was very, very interesting. Cause I, I don't know how I've never studied this before, but... um. It could be translated as still or peaceable. Um, It comes from the same root word as steadfast. But this is the one that really got me. It also can be translated as keeping one's seat. Because how often do we feel like I have to stand up. I have to say something. I have to defend myself. I have to go to bat for myself. I have to prove that I'm right. I have to teach them that they're wrong. Like, right. And so when it's saying quiet, it's almost the idea of meekness. It's that restraint, like Mm -hmm. restraint over our mouth, over what we say, over our behavior. Um, And there is just so much conviction going on from that. Um, But it made me think of uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 2, which says that, um, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Not feeling like we have to stand up and yell at everybody because they're all wrong. But like having that restraint in trusting that God is in control and that God is good. Um, I think that was just, whew, that was a good one for me to read. This whole idea of living a quiet life is actually something that I've been feeling super convicted about for probably the past six-ish months or so. And this this conviction first um, surfaced when I read 1 Thessalonians 4.11 that says, To aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. And this is a different context. It's not talking about marriage here. But... It's just that that same overall idea of being quiet and minding your own business, which I feel like with the internet and stuff, we're constantly, you know, telling mm. our our opinions all over the place, and we have a tendency to not mind our own business. But as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how when you're quiet, you can listen, you can listen to others around you, and you can you can see mm. and understand the needs of others around you better. But you also are 
quiet and you can hear that still small voice of God. And I think sometimes it's just really good to like take the earbuds out, to turn the TV off, to put Instagram down, to, to remove that noise and just be in the quiet. It's just, it's really, really good for us. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's what God says to do. And so when I read this, I was like, okay, just more conviction and a good reminder to, to live this way. Not just when I'm interacting with other people or when I'm thinking about um, the world around me, but even in my marriage. Yeah. So let's take this one really practical. So do you think this means like you should never braid your hair and like that you shouldn't, you know, what are the other things that those you shouldn't care about what you wear don't definitely don't wear gold only platinum just kidding but like do you think that's literally what it means do you think oh no what do you think? no i truly think he's saying that it's it's really what's in the heart that matters and the heart posture that mm-hmm. matters and this is actually something i've been thinking about a lot why do we like to focus on our outward appearance so much and One reason could be that it gives us confidence. We walk into a room and we feel like we look good and people look at us Mm. and they might compliment us or talk about us in in a positive way. And so that gives us this confidence. But one thing that God has been teaching me is that focusing on my inward character can actually do the same thing. Yeah. It can give me a Probably confidence. more. Yeah. Actually. If not, if not even more for sure. Right. And, um, it's not this proud, arrogant confidence like you might get when you're focusing on your outward appearance, but it's more of an inner peace that I'm living or striving to live in line with the heart of God. So then I can walk into a room and be confident in my decisions and confident in who God made me to be and confident in how I'm living, knowing that I'm, I'm truly striving to show people Jesus and for him to, to shine through me. And so it truly, when you're living like that, there's just this inward confidence and there's this inward peace that can come along with that. And it's way better than anything that outward adorning of your body can do for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love how in that verse, it says the imperishable beauty, like the outward stuff is perishable. Yeah. We're going to get old and wrinkly and our bodies are going to die and all of that's (laughs) going to fade away. So yeah, for sure. It's definitely what's in the heart that matters. Right. What has eternal value? I love that at the very end, it says very precious. I just like, I picture like a little daughter, you know, like the father looking down and being like, this is my daughter. She's so precious. Yeah. So verses five and six, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So the practical thing is to just start calling your husband Lord every day. always (laughs) I always try and say that with like such a straight face and I can't because I'm like this is so funny no but um I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna read kind of and give some little context on what this passage is referring to yeah so um Sarah and Abraham you may or may not be familiar with the story Mm -hmm. but Abraham and Sarah were advanced in age didn't have any children God promised that he would give them children as numerous as the sand or as the stars. Um, And it didn't happen that year. Didn't happen the next year. It was many years later. And so um, at this point in the story, Sarah is being spoken to by, I guess you would say an angel is fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so it says, I'm going to pick up in verse 11 and, and then I'll read 12. 
Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased with Sarah, meaning like there's no way she could have a baby anymore. And then, um, so Sarah laughed to her, herself saying, I am worn out and my Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is nothing, is anything too hard for the Lord? So at this point, when, when she's using the word Lord, like even if you're looking at it in your Bible, you see that it's all lowercase, but the very next verse, when it's talking about God, it's all uppercase. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this idea of Lord, if correct me if I'm wrong, Chrissy, but my understanding is like, this would be something that was, was not religious at all. Right. That's how I understand it too. Yeah. It was just very much almost like, um, master. Or, or like, sir. Sir. Sir is a good analogy. Hopefully that helps give a little bit of context. This, Peter is not saying you need to see your husband as your savior. Right. Right. Um, and this is where it gets tricky. And this is why like studying this way is very helpful. Because if we were to just read those couple verses without having studied and understanding like, what's the context here? Oh, yeah. Peter's telling us what does holy living look like in the home. And he's right. recalling back to Old Testament to show us examples of this. And this example is not telling us to see your husband as your savior. Instead, it's saying have a an honor and a respect for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did that because in that day, calling him Lord was a way to show honor and respect. So I was listening to a sermon on this, and I think it was a John Piper sermon, but he talked about this. And he said that this was just her automatic response. Her automatic response was to to show him respect. Her disposition. And yeah, yeah, it was a disposition. And he probably said this in that mm-hmm. sermon too, actually. But it wasn't to argue with him. It wasn't to little... second guess him, to say, oh no, like, are you sure about that? But it was just that, that automatic respect toward her husband yeah that's good all right here's the fun one ready likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you at the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered so i think you know we're saying peter is showing us we've got these three things that he's showing us about holy living in the home the first two were you know more related to the wife. Mm-hmm. But now he's showing us the third thing, which is like husbands see your wives as co-heirs of Christ with you is one way you could summarize that. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, Aaron, I think you brought it out in the PAO study that the part of it that we helped write, but, um, our eyes automatically want to go here to being called the weaker vessel. Mm-hmm. But really the main point here is that we are co-heirs and how cool is it that we not only get to mm-hmm. be husbands and wives, but we get to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's just such a gift of God's kindness and such a gift of grace. Right. Coming back to that same idea in the beginning, when it was saying like women weren't allowed or typically didn't have a different religion than their husband they were seen as Mm -hmm. just kind of followers and he's saying no you are co-heirs and the way you live that out you know anyways yeah I mean our standing before God is the same as our husband's Mm -hmm. and that's just a really really cool thing to think about so let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room when Peter (laughs) says weaker vessel what is he referring to here what is what is he talking about and he actually is talking about 
physical strength. So Mm. it's not, he's not talking about intellectual, spiritual, or moral. Sometimes you might hear that women are emotionally weaker or they're not as smart as men. That's not true. And that's not, that's not what Peter is talking about here. He actually is talking about physical strength. Mm -hmm. And there are some women that are very, very strong, um, may stronger than men. Um, but as a general rule, men are usually physically stronger than women. Mm. And so this mm-hmm. is Peter exhorting men to use their strength for, um, for, mm-hmm. to protect women, to take care of women, to love them, to care for them and not to harm them. So, um, I, yeah, I just think that's something that's important to say and kind of clear up exactly what Peter is talking about here. I think another thing that's important to talk about here is is just a reminder that women and men are equal in worth and dignity, and we're both made in the Imago Dei. Mm. And one way mm-hmm. that one place that we can see this in Scripture is to go back to Genesis two, um, where God says, "I will make a helper fit for him." And the mm-hmm. Hebrew word here for helper is Ezer, and it's actually the same word used in other places of the Bible, like Exodus eighteen, Deuteron- Deuteronomy thirty three. And Psalm 33, and it's used in these places to describe God helping man. So if this was in any way a term that implied inferiority, it would not be used for God himself. God made men and women distinct from one another, but equal in worth and dignity, like we've already said. So this passage in 1 Peter about wives' submission to their husband should never be used as an excuse for any form of abuse, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional no form of abuse um, or for a husband to lead their wife into mm-hmm. sin. Yeah, I think if you're wanting to listen to more teaching like on this specifically, I think there there's a um, there's an actual Bible study that goes along with it. But if you go to the Village Church's um, sermon series, there's one called Beautiful Design. And I think it's probably, from what I've studied, like one of the most helpful resources. We have it linked in so many of our show notes because yeah. we do. We love that series so much. But we'll be able, we'll be sure to link it in these show notes too so you can easily reference mm-hmm. it if you want. So let's kind of finish with, with a little summary here. This, um, I think, like we said, Peter's showing us the three things, but I think sometimes just putting things in different wording maybe mm-hmm. helps it stick. So basically what we have seen is Peter is telling us what holy, li- holy living looks like. It's denying self and picking up your cross. It's like when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. It's like when counting others as more important than yourself, and it looks like trusting God's sovereignty over all things. Good job. Great summary. Join us next week, and we'll finish up chapter 3, and then we'll go through verse 11 in chapter 4. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, and most importantly, share with a friend. The beautiful music that you've heard on this episode today is by the incredibly talented Katie Cobbs.